Men ought always to pray and not to faint. The parable concerning the unjust judge and the persistent widow is one which is only recorded by Luke in his 18th chapter. It follows hard on the heels of a salient warning in the previous chapter in which our Lord described the dismemberment of the nation by the Roman eagles. He alerted his disciples to the signs that would herald that destruction. They would experience days identical to the days of Noah and the days of Lot, in which violence and immorality would abound. Embedded in these words are warnings for our generation as well. The presence of our Lord in the destruction of the Jewish state 2,000 years ago prefigures a greater coming in our time. We are assaulted daily by news of shootings and bombings. We reel at the aggression of those who promote other lifestyles and ashamedly promoting their godless agendas. It is in this context that the Master spoke about prayer. He knew that during these evil times the godly would be in danger of becoming dispirited and losing heart. The parable he was about to utter was designed to encourage them not to give up. Luke 11 verse 1 says, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. The word ought is more forceful in the Greek. Thayer informs us that it conveys the idea of being necessary, of being right and proper. It is not optional, it is a necessity. Always is a word that challenges us all. The Apostle Paul often wrote about the way he always prayed for others and exhorts us to pray without ceasing. But how can we achieve this level of intensity and earnestness? The answer lies in developing a mindset that is readily open to the needs of others and is conscious of the presence of God and his Son in our lives. If we acknowledge him in all of our ways, he will direct our paths, and it will not be difficult to find an occasion to offer a prayer. For example, we may see a beautiful country scene, and this would provide the opportunity for giving thanks. We may experience an act of kindness from a brother or sister. We may providentially meet someone, or have opportunity to preach to someone, or be able to use an opportunity to serve someone. We may be preparing to do the readings, or preparing for an address. We may be facing trial and temptation. All of these incidents offer an opportunity for prayer. It is like looking through a lens of godly awareness, awareness that God and his Son are in our lives. Hence the point of verse 7, that the elect cry day and night by offering regular and frequent prayer. This reflects a spiritual mind constantly in tune with heavenly principles. Our prayers reflect our faith and closeness to God. By praying, we remain near to him. Earnest and continual prayer keeps the mind fixed on spiritual things and strengthens our relationship with our Father in heaven. Without it, we will grow distant from him and eventually disconnect ourselves from everything that is eternal. The Lord understood that one of the most difficult aspects of prayer is persevering when it seems that there is no apparent answer. It is easy to feel dispirited and give up. Hence, his words pray and faint not. Our prayers are answered in many different ways, but that answer is not always obvious and immediate. 
we may feel sometimes that God is not listening and that time marches on without clear direction. This, in turn, is liable to result in anxiety and perplexity, further fueling disappointment and perhaps despair. So our Lord puts the matter in stark contrast. To pray is not to faint. To faint is not to pray. Here is the antidote to despair and spiritual fatigue. The godly are exhorted to have that prayerful disposition, ready to respond to heaven's mercy day and night. It takes great faith to believe that God does hear, even though there may not be any outward signs to prove that he has heard. The parable of the unjust judge is also a parable of the persevering widow, but it is also one illustrating a contrast, not a comparison. God cannot be associated with injustice, and the lonely widow is the antithesis of those who are chosen and known by God. The judge of the drama is despicable on all counts. He was supposed to uphold the laws of the land and stand as the arbiter of right and wrong. Instead, he feared not God, neither regarded man. Under the law, judges were appointed, if they were able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. They were to hear the small as well as the great, and judge the people with just judgment, because the judgment is God's. But this man was not motivated by any higher sense of godly fear. He was only driven by self-interest. He had no time or respect for people either. He is a man who doesn't believe in God, has no biblical sense of right and wrong, and has no desire to sympathise with the oppressed. One wonders why he was even a judge. It must have been out of a sense of personal status and power. He has no interest in the first commandment, loving God, and no interest in the second commandment, loving his neighbour. He is among the most wicked of men. Hence, in verse 6, Jesus rightly calls him unjust. The widow is the other identity in the drama. She had no husband to lean on, and, it would appear, no family member to help. Widows were part of the poor and downtrodden in Israel because they were considered easy targets by the unscrupulous. Hence the judges in Israel were condemned for preying on widows. God, on the other hand, vindicates the widow and relieves both the fatherless and the widow. We often imagine widows to be defenceless. But what strikes us about this woman is her initiative, her persistence, and her single-minded determination driving her to accomplish her intended objective in the face of blatant injustice. A godly woman would have borne her disappointment and committed the matter to God in prayer. But this woman couldn't do that. She had a powerful sense of being wronged, so powerful that she was prepared to seek out this judge and demand justice. Her appeal is recorded in verse 3. Avenge me of mine adversary. The word avenge is too strong a word. The Greek means to vindicate one's right. The word doesn't necessarily imply revenge. Her one thought was to seek justification and rectification of her situation. Nothing else mattered. The word adversary refers to an opponent at law. She sought justice in the courts. It would appear that the matter had come before the judge and he was stalling. It was his duty and responsibility to uphold justice, but he flatly refused. Perhaps because he saw no opportunity for personal advantage, 
or perhaps he felt it was beneath him. Either way, he was totally indifferent about the outcome. The widow was clearly in the right, but the judge would not rule against her adversary. So the judge is lazy as well as guilty of perverting the course of justice. How difficult would it have been to judge rightly? But he didn't do it, and he certainly didn't feel any sense of compassion toward a destitute woman either. It was intolerable for the woman. So she took matters into her own hands. What is astounding about the judge is that he is comfortable with his evil. He had no hesitation declaring that he didn't believe in God and felt nothing towards those he judged. But the widow wearied him. Barnes states, The word used here in the original is that which was employed to denote the wounds and bruises caused by boxers who beat each other and blacken their eyes and disable them. The man couldn't be moved by a sense of justice or by the fact that God existed, but he could be moved by a defenceless widow continually badgering him. He felt like he had gone around in the ring with her. One session with her and he felt like he had been pummeled into the ground. His motive was pure and simple, one of self-interest and self-preservation. Jesus wants us to hear what the unjust judge saith. His focus is on the judge more than the widow. Keeping in mind that the purpose of the parable is to pray without losing heart, we need to appreciate the contrast that is being drawn. If an unjust man is prepared to respond out of self-interest and self-preservation to address the injustice of someone he doesn't care about, how much more will God respond to the cries of his people whom he does care about? The judge is unjust. God is always just. The judge doesn't listen until he is provoked. God listens all the time. If an unjust judge responded to continual pleas as of self-interest, how much more will God respond out of compassion? There is a contrast as well as a comparison between God's own elect and the widow. The woman sought to take matters into her own hands, whilst the ecclesia is asked to take the matter to God in prayer. He will provide full vindication when his son arrives to dispense justice. But the elect are also asked to emulate the persistency of the widow, to cry day and night unto him, recognising that he is listening, although it may seem like there is no response. Now it should be noted that our Lord is speaking about a specific answer from God in this parable. The answer has to do with a time when God will avenge his own elect. Once again, the Greek word has to do with vindicating, not revenge. Hence, Rotherham has, And shall God, in any wise, not execute the vindication of his chosen ones, although he beareth long with regard to them? Young's literal translation agrees, And shall not God execute the justice to his choice ones, who are crying unto him day and night, bearing long in regard to them? Note the presence of the definite article. It is the vindication. When will the final vindication and approval take place? When the Lord fully vindicates the godly at his appearing. This is the time when God will act swiftly 
He will wait and wait until the time is right, and then, when he acts, the vindication will be swift indeed. So we shouldn't give up. It may seem like our Lord's return will never come. It may seem like our prayers in seeking that day are falling on deaf ears. But be assured, said Christ, that when the time is right, the response from heaven will be immediate. In the meantime, God is bearing long with us. The Greek means to be long-spirited, to endure, to wait patiently. The RV has, and he is long-suffering over them. We may feel that there is no answer at times, but we need to appreciate that this seeming delay is a mark of God's forbearance. He is prepared to extend mercy to us, who frequently fail, and perhaps also to the adversary, who might repent. Either way, we can account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. But our Lord ends with a sombre note. He concludes with a but. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? The definite article is present. Will he find the faith? Will he find this kind of tenacious faith? The passage of time reveals one's faith. If the Son of Man were to come today, how many would he find among us praying with that distinct, fervent, irresistible, persistent faith like this widow? <laughs>